You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. If you have a Bible, please open it to the book of Ephesians. And our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 2 and verses 11 through 22. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing it in his flesh, the law, with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So reads the words of the Lord. The two words I'm sure that you'll hear me say are words that you immediately will attach to something else. And they are the words irreconcilable differences. You typically associate them with the discussion of divorce, with the legality or legal grounds of a divorce. I don't think there's a week that goes by that you don't read of some celebrity who is citing irreconcilable differences as to why them and their partner are going separate ways. It's an acknowledgement, a sad acknowledgement, that these two parties are saying there's no way to bridge the differences between us and that there's no way to save, from their perspective, their marriage. Well, interestingly enough, Paul is going to talk about differences in Ephesians chapter 2. But he's not discussing marriage at this point, but he's talking about the power of Christ that is able to bring together and resolve what from our point would look like and in a sense are, without God's intervention, irreconcilable differences between a sinful being like you and me and a holy God. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And in verses 11 through 22, we're going to cover three different areas in Paul's presentation here. Uh, The first is he'll talk about the cause of separation. What what is this issue that, in a sense, 
puts us in a position of saying, you know what, there are irreconcilable differences here. Then we'll look at the cure. What's the cure of this separation? And then finally, what are the consequences of reconciliation uh, that is attainable only through Jesus Christ? Well, as you're looking at the Bible before you, you'll notice Ephesians 2.11 uh, begins with one word, and that one word is what? Therefore. So I know you, you've been trained well enough. When you see a word like that, you immediately should connect it with it's related to what was said before this. So therefore, it does point back to verses 1 through 10. And you may notice there's sort of a parallel between these two parts of Ephesians 2 because they both deal with what was once true and is now no longer true. But it's in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that Paul unpacks that even a little further for us. So along those lines, let's consider the cause of separation. What is it that presents this serious problem? And Paul feels that this is something even a church, believers, need to be reminded of and refreshed. So you see in verses 11 and 12, Paul deals with separation on two different levels. The first one is what you might say horizontal separation. In other words, He's going to bring up the issue and the separation in that day and age between Gentiles and Jews, those who were uncircumcised and those who were circumcised. So listen to verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of of men. Paul says to the believers in this church who have been primarily Gentiles, but a smaller mix of Jews in there as well. He first says to the Gentiles, remember your past identity. And he uses words that would describe them from the perspective of a Jewish person or a Jewish believer. Because he says, one, you, you are called uncircumcised. Now, Gentiles didn't walk around calling themselves that, but that was the label that was put on them that led to this sense that they were viewed by Jews as being unclean, unrighteous, unholy. And that led to all different dynamics, even in their social interaction. So for a Gentile to go into the home of a Jew would, by a Jewish definition, defile the home and defile that individual who would need to go through purification rites. But notice it, it says there, remember. Now, this verb is used two times in verses 11 and 12. Uh, it's a very strong word, not, not the equivalent of what we think of when someone might say, well, you know, remember to pick me up or something like that. Uh, it's a word that is more than mental action or in intellectual action. It's a word that always results in physical action or application. So as Paul is writing this, he wants Gentiles, remember your past identity. Think about that for a moment. That, that you were horizontally separated from the Jews. They saw you as uncircumcised. They saw you as unclean. 
even the reference Gentiles, Gentiles did not walk around using that term for themselves. That, that, that's a Jewish term about those who are not Jewish. So you're sort of getting a glimpse to remind them of their past identity, but, but through the eyes of those who are Jewish. And again, consider in the early church, this raised the potential of some tensions. You know, you have Jew and Gentiles brought together in Christ, but how do they interact now? Because their culture around them is still very much saying these groups are to be separated. So remember your past identity. But that's only a glimpse, a surface issue here. So Paul is not just merely concerned of the horizontal division that's there. And I think today, you know, we see a lot of people very concerned about racial, ethnic issues um, that, that we know Scripture would be against, uh, but they're only concerned about them from a social level, a horizontal level. Well, Paul goes deeper now here and says, as true as that is, that when you look at the cause of separation, you've got to go deeper. And you have to look at the vertical separation that's taken place because of sin. And he does this very eloquently in verse 12. Notice verse 12 says, remember, once again, get this into your head. Think about how it should be lived out now that you are recalling this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And as you listen to that, you may have counted off in your head, there's five particular irreconcilable differences Paul cites there. In other words, irreconcilable from our standpoint. There, there is no way we could change, resolve, rectify this situation. So you notice the first one is you were separate from Christ. Interesting that we're kind of looking at what irreconcilable difference is and how that often is used in reference to marriage. The word here for separate means to be alienated or literally estranged from Christ. So because of sin, this was true obviously for Gentiles, but the same reality holds true for Jews, but, but you are estranged from Christ. The second one he mentions, you are excluded from citizenship in Israel. And probably Israel's reference not to just this thought of national citizenship, but Israel as God's people. Those elected in the Old Testament, you are not a Jew, and so you are excluded. But as we kind of read ahead a little bit beyond this, we know isn't this what the gospel came to do now? That the message didn't just go and was never intended to just be just for Israel, but they were to be a light to the Gentiles in the Old Testament. And then it unfolds in the New Testament to Jew and Gentile. But notice the third one he mentions, you're foreigners to the covenants of promise. So it's plural. So he's referring to more than one covenant possibly referring to different unconditional covenants that God made with his people in the Old Testament, with Abraham leading all the way up to David, the sense that you had no part in that, 
by birth or by right. And I think as you start to say those things, you should start thinking, that's true of me too. I had no natural part in this. And for each of us sitting here, you could even compound that more. As far as I know, no one here is of Jewish ethnicity. So you're not only a sinner, but you're in the category of a Gentile. You, you are not in that initial group that was called by God's grace. And then finally, he speaks of two other aspects to drive it home. You, you were simply without hope. Hope had no reality in your life. And I think it's this one that may resonate with us when we look at people who don't know Christ, who appear to sort of be bouncing from relationship to relationship, uh, looking for meaning, significance. Uh, they're without hope, without direction, without any kind of certainty, uh, carrying maybe a lot of things that they've done in the past but not experiencing any sense of forgiveness. Then he says, in addition to culminate it all, you were without God. That brings us right back to the big issue. The cause of separation is that you don't have fellowship and communion with God. And the reality is you can't because you're a sinner. That paints for us the cause of separation. And, and Paul is saying this is a worthy exercise for, for Christians, for those who know Christ. Rehearse this in your mind. What was your identity before you acknowledged Christ as your Lord and Savior? Think about that. Don't, don't push that aside and say, well, that was a long time ago. I'm so glad I'm different now. Yeah, that's great. We'll get to that part. But, but think about what you were. So that helps us understand the cause of separation. And at this point, if we stop there, this is a very bleak story. Much like the first part of Ephesians chapter 2. It's, it sounds hopeless. What, what do we do? Well, Paul then gives us the cure for separation. And there is a cure. There is an answer to this. Notice verse 13. Verse 13 is a, tr a transitional verse. In other words, it, it points you back to what he just said, but then it's also going to kind of introduce where he's going in verses 14 through 18. Because right in the middle part of this, he says, let me stop and explain the cure that has been provided for this. And so you notice verse 13 begins with two words. But now, very similar if you went back up to verse 4 of chapter 2, when after relating that we were once objects of God's wrath, Paul begins verse 4 literally with two words, but God. So maybe to help you think about the significance of, of starting verse 13 with, but now. Um, take a big breath in. And then just let it out, kind of like a sigh, but a good sigh, like, oh, this was terrible, this is awful news, but oh man, everything's changing now. You know, and, and that's what it is. It's like a sigh of relief that, that here I can tell you something now that is going to turn what I just said completely around. 
And Paul does the same thing in his letter to the believers in Rome. Where in Romans 3, he, he puts right out there in front, this is what sin looks like. This characterizes all of us. None of us can please God in and of our own. We don't even want to. And after painting all that, you get to Romans 3, 21, and Paul says, but God has revealed his righteousness to us. So coming back to this passage, what does this cure look like? Well, only through Jesus Christ are these apparent irreconcilable differences removed. They're not merely resolved as if somehow they'll stay there, but just not be as strong. They are completely removed. Notice in verse 13, Paul uses this phrase throughout this passage. Those who are far away have been brought near. It kind of contrasts far away, near. Both these stand in need of salvation. But in this particular context, the tense there is passive, which means the action taking place is being done to the subject. In other words, it removes all sort of grounds or credit we might try to claim for ourselves. We, we didn't come near to God. He drew us near to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This would exactly parallel Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it talks about you've been saved by grace, not by works. In a sense, your justification, being declared righteous, you and I were completely passive in that process. It's a work of God. But looking a little further there, you notice that now in verses 14 through 18, Paul explains this cure in greater detail. In verse 14, we read, For he himself is our peace, who made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So grammar is interesting because the way a, structure, a sentence is structured um, is, is by design to emphasize the right aspects. So in this case, the emphasis is on Christ, what Christ has done. He himself. And he himself has made the two one. So we can look at this and say, well, now he's brought Jew and Gentile together because what is important is you acknowledge Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as we sit here today and think about that message, we're quickly aware of the fact it does not matter how much money you make. It does not matter what part of the country you've come from. It does not matter what faith your parents had or did not have. It comes down to where do you personally stand before God? And we share that same need. We need a Savior. But in looking at verse 14, notice he adds here, he himself is our peace. What an appropriate term when you are dealing with the subject of differences. It reminds me of what Isaiah says, Jesus Christ, the one who will come, the Messiah, is the prince of peace. And the peace that's referenced here is both this peace with God that is restored through Christ and also the peace of God. That, that indwells us and that continues to grow as we grow in faith. 
peace is certainly very much attached to the word shalom, the sense of wholeness. So here we are, all of us as Gentiles, and as Paul would say, we're a broken people. We're, we're separated from God's grace because we're sinners. But now in Christ, we are made whole. We're restored. We have a new position and standing. Uh, he says that Christ has destroyed the barrier. Uh, and this word barrier, dividing wall, uh, there's a number of different ways we could look at this. I think the one that fits best uh, is that you had this four and a half foot wall that was in the temple that was a clear indication to Gentiles once you got to this sort of waist high wall, that was as far as you could go in the temple for worship because you're a Gentile. Uh, Jews could have further access into the temple. But that was a continual visual reminder to you that you were not a Jew. Now he uses that physical imagery to say, look what Christ has done. He's, he's torn that down. And now we can be one in Christ if we profess faith in him. And we speak often of, you know, in churches, we like to use the word fellowship, communion. Uh, those are great words. I don't know sometimes if we stop and think, what does that really mean? It means more than just we say hello to each other and we smile and we're nice to each other. It, it means there is this bond that is ours because we are one in Christ, because we have union with Christ. And up to this point, everything in the plan of salvation was leading to this unity that could only come through Jesus Christ. Paul himself, a very devout Jew. Think of his early days when he speaks of just how committed he was to the law. Now sees that there, there's a whole different dimension to the work and person of what Christ has accomplished. Going on to verses 15 through 17, and looking at the cure, he speaks about not just reconciliation, but what Christ did. Notice it says in verses 15 through 17, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. You kind of get the emphasis of where Paul's heading here. Three times he uses the word peace, this sense of restoration, not a horizontal only, but a vertical position and change. Now, as we read that, I think it's important we take a closer look at what does it mean that in verse 15 when it says, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, the word abolish may not be necessarily the best rendering here because that almost sounds like he, he did away with it, like he just sort of trashed it and said, I got a better plan now. Uh, the word itself means to render inoperative or to fulfill or complete. And that would be in agreement when even in Jesus' own words, very early in his ministry, 
he addresses this question of, well, you know, what is your relationship to the law, the Old Testament? And he says, I, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them, to complete them. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. The law, as he mentions in other places, the law is wholly good. It was, it was given by God. The problem was never the law. The problem was us. The law made very clear to us our own sinfulness and inability to meet the standards of God and sort of held up before us. Look at the separation that exists there. And so as Paul speaks of what Christ did in his body, he says in Christ's body, he has rendered inoperative the law as a standard of righteousness because now our righteousness is in Christ. Now we are restored to be able to obey the law out of a heart that loves God and desires to serve him. But as well as you see in the 16th verse that this cure that takes place brings about the creation of a new being. That we're not just reconciled one to another, but we are reconciled to Christ. Um, Paul is the only New Testament author who uses the term reconcile. And he's the only one who also not just uses the term, but only uses it for the divine human relationships being restored. So we've gone from the beginning reminding Gentiles, this is what your past identity was, to now this change that has taken place. So now you can speak of, I am a new creation in Christ. I have been restored to my created purpose before God. Looking down at verse 18, following that thought, he says, For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And you well know the word access speaks of entrance, approach, but, but think of that term in light of the whole discussion here about Jew and Gentiles. It was very clear in those days, as a Gentile, your access to God was limited. That, that four and a half foot wall was right there to remind you of that. Under the threat of death, to not proceed any further. You might think, well, that was great then. At least if you were a Jew, you could go closer. Yeah, you could go closer. But you didn't have unlimited access. You could only go so far. And then the priest was the one who could have greater access. But even that priest was limited, that only once a year could he go into the most holy place before God on your behalf. Now, all of that is, is blown apart in Christ, that we, in Christ, in our new identity, we can approach God with confidence. We do that in worship. We do that when we pray. You do that when you open his word and read it. You, you are approaching God covered in Christ's righteousness. That's all a work of God. And Paul's saying, you will not appreciate that work unless you stop and think about 
What was the cause of separation that was there from the very beginning? And then to consider the cure. So I've looked at two elements, and there's a third leg in Paul's argument, and that is verses 19 through 22 speak of the consequences of reconciliation. And in, in Scripture, there's something sometimes referred to as an inclusio. Uh, think of it as like a literary envelope where it, it sort of ties a passage together. In this case, you have an inclusio because in verse 19, notice that uh, in verse 19, the second word, consequently you, which would be the same as saying therefore, uh, and that ties in with verse 11 began with therefore, remember that formerly you. So the word you tightens all of this together. And in that inclusio, what Paul wants to say now is let, let's consider the results. This dramatic change that has occurred, only a work by God, has changed everything. Verses 19 and 20, he says, you're, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Here's one of the tremendous results. We are now ushered into the kingdom and family of God. I think we live in a day and age where, where we know more and more people can understand the sense of an immigrant being somewhere, maybe not really being a citizen, not having rights, uh, privileges that go with citizenship, all of that. It's debated. But, but this is saying to us, you realize that that's basically what you were before Christ? You, you had no relationship with him. Now, now you're a member of his family. You, you are certified and believed in the kingdom of God. And with that comes tremendous privileges. But as you all know, with privileges come what? Responsibilities. And, and Paul will spend the second half of Ephesians talking about, here are the responsibilities that come with this new identity. But at this point, just as a reminder to them, you are citizens. Keep in mind that when this was written, you have the Roman Empire in power. Uh, Roman citizenship was a tremendous honor and privilege. Uh, Paul was a Roman citizen, and there were times that he used that citizenship and the protection it would give him uh, to further spread the gospel. If Paul can speak so highly of citizenship in an environment where it was treasured, it was an honor to be a Roman citizen. Imagine how much greater Paul must beam with a, a rightful sense of pride. You and me were citizens of heaven. We're, we're citizens. We belong to the family of God. But he's not even done yet because he goes on in verses 21 and 22 to use a, a, a building metaphor and says, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Even though the Roman Empire was not Christian and was open to many belief systems, generally equated with a temple is it's a dwelling place of, of deity. 
Paul says here, now as a believer, you went from being estranged from God, separated from Christ, now his presence and power lives in you. You now are this holy temple in Christ. And notice he says in verse 22, you too are being built together. There's a continuous tense. In other words, there's this ongoing process now that we might call sanctification being made more and more like Christ that is the result of the fact that you have a new identity in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you in Christ. What a dramatic change from how you started in verse 11 to how Paul concludes us in verse 22. And that leaves us simply acknowledging, or we should acknowledge, if this change is true for you and me, and we have experienced this, then one, it should prompt us to praise God every day. That we should be so thankful for we went from separation to reconciliation through Christ. But then the second aspect of that, it should call us to live up to the calling and privileges that are ours in Christ. Not merely to rest in this and say, this is so comforting, this is so reassuring. Yeah, that's true. But, but you were saved not to just rest in your salvation, but to display your salvation and to be obedient. So I think that's a message, not just that a first century Christian needed to hear again and again. It's one, no matter how many times we've heard that, we need to hear it again. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may you give us new eyes and ears to understand what is ours in Christ, but to also understand the joy that should mark our lives, the service that should mark our lives daily. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.